Welcome to another episode of the Strive for 25 podcast, where our team is helping people build their financial freedom. And one of the things we talk a lot about is saving and investing 25% of one's income. And I'm your host, Joel Farrell. And each week we dig into the ways that people are generating more income to be able to save more money and the ways that they are investing that hard-earned dollar. And lastly, the how, how people are making these changes. Because again, we're talking about changes. We're talking about changing behaviors. Let's get into today's content so we can help you on your financial journey towards living a life with the power of choice. Welcome back to another episode with the Strive for 25 podcast. Joel Farrell here, and I've got another amazing guest. And this one, actually not too far away from me, um, but Drew McCluskey. And I'll let Drew enter, um, introduce himself and explain kind of what he's into. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so my name is Drew McCluskey. I'm from central Missouri, uh, Rolla area. It's about an hour and a half outside of St. Louis. So yeah, I, I've kind of gotten into a bit of an array of things, but I'm a real estate investor uh, and then also a co-founder of uh, Bright Investor, which is a real estate data mapping platform. Uh, for visualizing real estate data. Okay. So let, let's dig into that real quick. So mm-hmm. uh, mapping out visual data for real estate investors, right? And and this thing is coming around the corner very, very soon. So mm-hmm. um, what's the name of the company again? Yeah. So the company name is Bright Investor. And yeah, it's releasing in March here. Uh, towards the end of March, it'll be releasing. We're kind of right now in the beta testing phase of it all. Okay. And so if I'm on a real estate investor, what is this product going to be giving me access to that I don't already have? Yeah. So uh, the biggest thing that this software does is it helps to take the data uh, when it comes to market research. So if you're you know, trying to figure out where you want to go in a market or uh, if a property gets thrown across your plate and you're not familiar with that area, um, it basically incorporates a lot of data from the different providers that you're already used to. So people like Rentometer, Crimometer, um, the Census Bureau, Labor Statistics, all of those different sources, puts it all onto one platform and lets you visualize all of that data um, across the different properties that you're looking at. So if you've, you know, if you've got a bunch of lead lists from Deal Machine or PropStream or something like that, um, it lets you see those compared against all these other softwares that you already use um, visually and just stacking the layers. Just basically helps to narrow down and understand quickly um, what's going on directly around that property. Okay. Because I, I want to kind of dig into this just for a second and then start to rewind the clock a little bit and dig yeah. deeper on some other stuff. Um, but I think in our conversations, this is going to be released and the average person is going to have access to this on like a subscription basis type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. No, the, the basic model, there's a free tier that kind of gives you access to data, like, uh, schools, population and businesses around. Um, but then, yeah, there's a standard, uh, version that starts off at $50 a month. And then, uh, the eventual, like the nationwide data with all of the different custom data features and everything is a hundred a month. Okay. Okay. So I mean, yep. the, bar- the barrier to entry on that as a, just a regular layperson isn't, is not terribly, uh, terribly high. So that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, definitely wanted to make it uh, accessible to where instead of having to go to eight different data providers for each different element, kind of reducing the cost like crazy. Uh, so definitely saves a lot of money if you're trying to get into market research. Cool. So can I start to on, on, on peel the, on- the onion here, so to speak. <laughs> so at what point in time, I mean, we're at the beginning of 2023, which is crazy to say, Yeah. Um, but when did this uh, business opportunity or idea, uh, you know, find its, uh, its creation? Yeah. So it, 
really, it pretty much started, uh, I think this was back in 2021, like the very beginning. Um, so rewinding a little bit back about me, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Rotham, Missouri. And then um, I ended up getting an internship with Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets. Uh, it was kind of just out of the blue situation. A lot of different networking went into that. But anyhow, I found myself out on Maui working with him and I was talking to him about um, my background in tech and kind of my understanding of computer programming and software. Um, but now how I've shifted and I just want to go all in on real estate now because that's just, I, I caught the bug. Um, and so we were talking and he he said, you know what we really need that just hasn't really been touched fully is real estate market visualization. That's just something people are doing in specific niches, but they're not just giving an all-in-one tool that's accessible to smaller time investors. So it really started back in 2021. I began running some mocks and whatnot, um, but then it, it took off more back here at the beginning of 2022. Um, where I partnered up with uh, another guy up in St. Louis, Donato Callahan. Um, he works as a data analyst, uh, data analyst for the Department of Defense, and he also had this same idea. And he was like, "Oh, we have to do something together." So we we pretty much took it off from there, and it's been in development now for just a little over a year. Cool. So mm -hmm. for those out there that aren't that familiar with Bigger Pockets or Brandon Turner, uh, and you mentioned Maui, um, jealous, jealous. <laughs> um, okay. Um, well, uh, can you explain a little bit more about him and kind of what he's all into? Yeah, no. So Brandon Turner, he's pretty much how I got into real estate in the first place. He's um, one of the largest real estate influencers. He um, was the head of the Bigger Pockets podcast and um, kind of came in early on when Bigger Pockets, the platform, launched. Um, it's the largest just real estate education portal where they provide a lot of free uh, opportunities for learning through podcasts, webinars, um, but then they also have you know, books and uh, different groups that you can be a part of as well through paid uh, mentorship groups and whatnot like that. So he, I met him through just some of the different conferences, DMing on Instagram, all those kind of things. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I met him from was just, I saw him on some podcasts and some webinars and eventually just began reaching out and, and formed a relationship there. I mean, was it one of those things where, you know, if you're reaching out on, on, on IG, like a hundred times, like seven times, like in the comments, like just being in, in, in that circle, being in that, um, in the conversation, how, like how long of a time frame was it to, to catch that conversation? Yeah, it was, I mean, I'm trying to think like it, it was probably overall, you know, over a hundred different interactions of commenting on different posts, sharing them, liking them, uh, DMing him responses to his stories. Um, but I, I think the, the primary element that came in where I actually got direct connection to him was when they announced one of their conference events. And I direct messaged him and said, hey, I know this place that you're going to for the conference. Uh, if you've never been there, it's it's a zoo to get through. It's just a huge conference center. Um, I'm familiar. If you need any help, I would you know be absolutely happy to just be a runner boy because I know all the shortcuts throughout the conference. Um, so he responded to that one and got me in contact with some other people who were helping to run the event as well. Um, so it, yeah, overall probably was around 100 plus attempts of reaching yeah. out through different ways. That um, is awesome. Yeah. And, and that was in, what year was that? 21, 20? That was uh, 2019. 2019. And, and yep. what area was that? What state was that conference in? That was down in Nashville, Tennessee. So Nashville. I grew up going to conferences down there with my parents and such. So I just, as a kid, uh, this was the um, Opperland Hotel down there, which is okay. basically, it's four lobbies large. And it's basically just a massive uh, jungle. Like they put plants everywhere, waterfalls, everything. So it's, uh, quite literally like exploring through to get through the lobby, to get to where you need to go. It's, it's 
quite amazed. That that's awesome. So I mean, a hundred times, hundred like so you had your mind set on this <laughs> to say this is this is an opportunity that I don't want to pass up. This is the person that I think could help help you know mm-hmm. build some connections. And so yeah. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely, it's something that I'm planting seeds on all the time. So it's not like I was just going after Brandon. I was, you know, I I comment on pretty much every single post I can that looks like something worth, you know, if I like what someone's doing, I'm commenting on it, I'm supporting it, I'm sharing it. Um, Yeah, I basically just really wanted to provide value, make my name out there, um, see what connections and networking I could get. Because again, I came from a place where there really wasn't much network at all out here. Yeah. So what what job and that, that 2019 timeframe, what job were you doing at that point in time? So at that point I was still in college. Uh, I would do random website development for people. I would do graphic design, um, just odd and end jobs here that kind of make extra money. But at that point I was just a full-time student. Um, okay. and so were you, were you in Rala area or somewhere else? Yeah, I was in Rala. I did online cool. school with Liberty university. Yeah. Cool. Cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, University of Missouri Rala is is a big <laughs> engineering school. So I just yeah. didn't want to assume. Didn't want to assume. Yeah. But uh Yep, no, engineering's not quite my suit. So yeah, <laughs> did online school instead. So the whole real estate part of of the game, you know, what was your first foot in, into the game uh in terms of real estate? Yeah, in terms of actual real estate, uh I, I really I very first kind of caught a little bit of the bug of it during college. I took a real estate law class that just kind of described how the transfer of property and everything goes on with that. And that uh, spurred me into researching it, which is why I found bigger pockets. I watched probably two webinars and read like one or maybe two books. And then I basically just looked for the first property I could get my hands on. So um, I, I definitely am a jump and try to build the parachute on the way down. Uh, however, that doesn't always work out. Sometimes you end up hitting the ground before you build the parachute. Uh, which is more so what happened in my case. Um, so okay. the the first property that I got involved with was one that my dad was purchasing because he needed the parking lot. And it was uh, on the courthouse steps. It had been part of a whole uh, foreclosure deal uh, of about 30 other properties. Um, but on that parking lot also was a very, very poor condition fourplex unit. So he bought the property for the quadplex and he said, hey, I bought this property. I'm not going to do anything with the quadplex. If you want, you can go ahead and start, you know, breaking it apart, renovating it. And if, if once you've gotten it down to bare bones, you, you like what you're seeing, you can go ahead and buy it from me. Um, so that's, that's pretty much how I jumped into my first one. I definitely had a lot of cushion there in that regard. If I didn't have to actually purchase the property yet, it was just paying for all the demolition costs, you know, hauling trash away and such. Um, cool. yeah. How did you buy it? Did you buy it as an investor or buy it like a, like a renovation loan FHA? Like, how did you purchase it? Yeah. Well, so with the purchase again, my dad purchased the lot with the property on it. I ended up not purchasing it because once I did get it completely okay. down to studs, this is probably about eight months of demoing. It was the whole, uh, you know, like landlord special where they, they've added multiple layers of sheetrock on everything. They've uh, put three layers of floor and everything. So just once I actually finally finished demolishing this quadplex about eight months later, um, I came to the realization that there was way more rot in all of the foundation, way more shifting of everything. Uh, that it really wasn't within any of my budget to jump into, especially with my lack of expertise. Again, like having only really watched like two webinars and maybe read two books. So yeah, kind of big slap in the face of there's a lot to learn here uh, that you don't know about yet. Cool. Mm-hmm. So, do, I mean, do you want to jump into what, what was your next experience? Yeah. So the next experience, this was 
post working with Brandon then. So I, I finished out that. Uh, I ended up getting an internship with Brandon to help him with flipping out on Maui. Um, gained some experience, really grew my network a ton. Um, but then I, I came back and I knew I wanted to start off with house hacking because I just I knew I needed to minimize my expenses as much as possible. I was going to be you know living away from home now at this point. So I I pretty much I set a goal with my brother that okay before I come back from Maui I need to have a property under contract ready for me to move into because I don't want to move back home. Just I just want to keep you know the the level of independence kind of that I've got currently. Um, so we we set some goals that uh, I had to pay him a hundred bucks if I didn't analyze 50 properties by the end of the week. So I, I analyzed 50 properties and we finished that goal. And he was like, all right, now another hundred bucks. If you don't submit an offer on a property within the next week, you know, just submit an offer. You can always back out of it. Or whatever, but if you don't submit an offer, you owe me a hundred bucks. Um, so I, I went through that. I submitted an offer on the best looking one that I could see so far. And I was doing this all just long distance. And eventually my brother, then he was still in raw at the time. He went ahead and walked through the property and said, you know, this, this looks like a great one for a starter. So I went ahead and submitted the offer. It got accepted. And I think it was the week that I came back home from Maui. Then we were, we were sitting there at the closing table, uh, getting the property for that. So that was a three bedroom, two bath home. And then I, I rented out by the rooms kind of house hack. So just renting out the two other rooms and that ended up covering the mortgage for everything. So I know when I bought my first house, it was a condo in Brentwood in, mm -hmm. uh, here in St. Louis in 2009. You know, in, in my world, you know, I'm in a hundred percent commission job, you know, doing, doing mortgages. And so I was always fearful of really kind of taking too many steps because I didn't, if what have happened, what, what if something happens to my job? So yep. when I got that contract accepted from a builder, that was a no shit moment for me. Like, oh my God, now what? Do I really want to do this? Yeah. Um, but was your, was your experience different at that point in time based on your, on your Maui mm -hmm. uh, background? I think it definitely helped knowing that I now had some people in my corner and that I'd done a whole lot more, you know, listening to podcasts and reading. Like I, I felt like I had a bit of a backup plan um, going into it. So I just knew, okay, I'm, I already submitted an offer that was below asking. Um, so I've got a bit of cushion there if I need to sell it. My other view was, you know, if worst comes to worst, if no one wants to rent from me or it's, it's horrible to rent uh, to other people, then I'll just keep living in the house. So it ultimately wasn't a horrible deal. I've, I've lived most of my life kind of doing by commission, random jobs, just, you know, on and off websites, graphics. So I've always just learned that it's kind of, okay, if you need more money that month, just go out and find another random thing to do, whether that's helping someone haul garbage or painting someone's house. I, I have enough of a connection to my community that there's, there's typically always something I can do to trade my time for money. So ultimately I just felt like, okay, well, if this goes sour, I'll just need to work more hours, which uh, at the time being single, uh, definitely was a lot easier of a risk to take. Right. I think at that point. Yeah. So you, you get the first one, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that was in what year was that? That was, uh, that was the beginning of 2021. Okay. So yep. the internship is done. You're on your way mm -hmm. back to the mainland. And, and then like from that point into a, a tech job or a computer job. So I actually, right off of coming from Maui, I, I connected with uh, investor girl Brit or Brittany Arneson while I was out there and she was beginning her syndication company for commercial real estate. And she needed website marketing graphics, um, kind of a systems manager, just to kind of help her get launched off the ground. So uh, I talked with her for a fair amount and said, hey, okay, what if I did, you know, for the first month I worked for free, 
the next month I'll work for 500 bucks and we can talk about it from there on out. I just, I wanted to stay connected to the different, you know, investors in the area. And I, I had a bit of savings at that point, maybe like 6,000 bucks or something. So I was like, okay, I can, I can live off of this for a while and hold it, but you know, just let me work with you. Cause I want to get experience in this area. And I know I can definitely help you get off the ground. So yeah, so I worked with her for, I think maybe six months, helped her get all that launched, um, jumped around to a couple other just random graphic commission jobs. But yeah, no, it's again, it's pretty much always just been jumping around to different opportunities as they come. In, overall, cost of living in Rolla is very low. Like I need about a thousand eight hundred bucks a month to live. So it's really right. it's not too hard to to make that. That that first loan for you, I mean, was mm-hmm. it a an investor like a DSCR loan or was it a primary residence loan? So it was actually it was a standard, just conventional loan. Um, I was able to get it. I asked for it to be in-house with the bank out here. I used town and country, which is one that's around Rolla or around Missouri. I'm not sure how much it is in other states. But yeah, I, just, I talked to them and said, okay, what could we do if I keep it in-house? I pay a bit more on the interest rate. You know, Can you do things on the down payment? Can we do things on me not having to live in it and whatnot? Um, and so ultimately they, they agreed. They said, yeah, okay, we could do a 10% down um, and we can do non-owner occupied. And then towards the end, they were even willing to just waive the uh, private mortgage insurance as well. So it was, it really turned out to be a good deal. Um, but that was also, I'd, I'd probably talked to 10 or more banks at that point that were local banks and asked them about their in-house options. Um, so yeah, for me, that worked out really well. It just made it very affordable. So, cause the, on my, I'm putting on my mortgage hat. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, do you have a W2 job? Do you have an hourly rate? Do you have a salary? Cause it doesn't sound like yeah. that was the case. Right. No. And that's, that's primarily why I asked about the in-house options like crazy. I really pushed for that. I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to meet whatever your, you know, Freddie May, uh, or yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not going to meet those. Yeah. I'm not going to meet those requirements. So I, I basically just talked to every bank and said, okay, I, I'm not going to meet those requirements. If absolutely necessary, I could find someone to co-sign, although I'd really prefer not to, um, you know, I've got this much savings. Here's the experience that I've done. Here's all the books I read. So like, I created a whole like real estate resume of, this is my education, at least in it, you know, I've helped these people out buy these properties and just in general worked to sell myself. And then, um, yeah, one of the mortgage officers was willing to take, take a chance on me in that way, which has been really awesome. And that that's continued on to then the next properties as well. So like what's going through my brain right now is like, and you were what, 23 years old at that time. Yeah, I think I was 22. 22 and you like, here you are spitting out like mortgage guidelines. Like, I know this is going to have to happen. So we're going to do this, this, and this. Can you do it? Like, like that's cool. And not many 22, 23 year olds even are even thinking about purchasing real estate, let alone knowing the guidelines. And so, um, I want to, I do want to dig back in because I mean, research podcasts, social media, following people, researching that that internship, it just sounds like an amazing opportunity and just jam-packed with a lot of uh, experience that you'd be able to fill in in a short period of time. So I want to dig into that, mm-hmm. but just for yeah. the listeners to kind of see a, a little bit more of a, of a full picture before you go backwards a little bit, because right now you have how many total units? So right now I have three units. I had uh, 10 units last year and then I offloaded a bunch of them. Uh, so I just have three currently. Okay. So you yep. scale up to 10 and then back down to three. Mm-hmm. So um, yep. in a short period of time, that's that's pretty, pretty badass. <laughs> Thank so, you. So the, the internship, right? So mm-hmm. this, this person, Brandon Turner out there flipping homes, doing things out there. When you were going out there, you know, what was the job? What, what was the expectation that you were going to be bringing to the table for his team? Mm-hmm. So going out there, initially I came out there to help him flip properties on Maui. And within about 
two months of me being out there, he said, okay, never mind. I don't want to flip houses on Maui. This is a headache. There's so much uh, just like government regulations regarding renovations. Um, you have to put so many permits through and their permit office is extremely slow. It like, it ended up being that, yeah, it, it, it was very, very uh, hard to do a fast flipping business out in Maui because it just, everything takes, you know, like eight plus months to get something to go through. Um, so yeah, so he pretty quickly dropped that whole idea of having me be like a bird dog, you know, data researcher, everything like that. Um, so he moved me over into pretty much like jack of all trades kind of role. So I was babysitting for him uh, probably three times a week. I was uh, doing some marketing research for his open door capital. That's his uh, oh, commercial real estate syndication company. Um, trying to think like <laughs> uh, gardening, like cleaning up his pool, doing like just all sorts of random things. And, and then working on uh, the real estate podcast with him, helping kind of manage that. Um, yeah, just he kind of put me into a jack of all trades role, which it, at first was kind of disappointing for me because I've always grown up just being a a jack of all trades, never getting to really specialize too much. Um, but I, I started realizing that that's actually what ultimately makes me, I think, very valuable to a lot of people around me is that I have connections to people and a pretty good understanding of a lot of different things in enough that I can be the communicator and connector for things to get done. So, so just bottom line, just getting shit done, getting yeah. it all done, having all the wherewithal to just pull all of it in and just yep. get it all done. Yeah, but ultimately it's like the whole... Uh, so if you're familiar with EOS, uh, like with the traction model, I'm basically a, a very typical integrator. I, yep. I, you know, vision's fine and vision's cool and stuff like that. But ultimately, I just want to like be talking to everyone, making sure that everything's getting uh, done. Yeah. So in, does that put Donato as the visionary mm -hmm. side of that? Yes. Yep. Donato is the visionary for Bright Investor. And then I'm the integrator managing cool. uh, development, managing marketing, managing, just head management over all of that. Yeah. Uh, absolutely love it because my partner and I, uh, I've got the books traction sitting over there on my, on my bookcase, you know, that's how okay, we run yeah. our, our mortgage operation. So that's Max awesome. Valet and I, um, when we started this, you know, it was, Hey, Mike, you're the integrator. I was on the visionary side. And as things have evolved, Mike's got a lot of vision, uh, stuff that that's brought to the table. And so anyway, uh, but that's how we run our branch too. So, uh, that's awesome. It's, it's an amazing system process. Just keeps you focused and as the book says, yeah. it's literally about traction. Get shit done and then move yeah. to the next thing. No, it's you get that whole like the flywheel of momentum of just like, okay, things are getting done. And that makes the next thing get done even faster. Just eventually the momentum is crazy once you keep doing, you know, the level 10 meetings every single week and sticking to the formula. It really it's it's been crazy over a year seeing how much momentum's building up now. When, you know, and for us, you know, we have the mortgage branch, we've got uh, a couple of businesses that we have real estate and we have a land project in Florida that we're doing. Uh, we had an insurance thing that we had been doing, so we had a, a, a number of businesses and we were all yeah. running out of, EO, out of EOS and, you know, click a little drop down this business that didn't drop down this business. So it, it's pretty, pretty cool in terms of being able to scale it. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So Brandon Turner, he, he's a San Diego guy, right? He's a California guy. Right. No, he's, uh, he, so he actually, I believe he grew up in Minnesota, uh, lived in Washington for a long time. So kind of still uh, okay. on that, you know, that West coast. Um, but then, yeah, he lives between, uh, Maui and Idaho. Now he has kind of two houses okay. bounced back and forth when he wants to be in the, okay. in the mainland. Yeah. Yeah. So as time goes on, you're, you're just getting shit done for him. And mm -hmm. like, when you look at your, you know, vision for your own real estate, you know, 
what's changed? What have you learned along the way in terms of what you want to do? Yeah, definitely learned a ton. Cause again, I, I think I only, only been in this really for about three years, um, you know, starting in 2019, primarily, um, you know, we're in, we're in 2023 now, but just barely I've learned a ton about leveraging other people. Definitely the whole like who, not how book, um, mm-hmm. blanking on the name right now who wrote that, but, uh, that book's been crucial to seeing how, you know, the way that I was looking at potentially running my own real estate versus seeing how Brandon does it. And it's, you know, okay, wow. Brandon's definitely at the top of this thing. And he's overseeing all these different managers who are overseeing all these different people going out and getting stuff done. Um, it's definitely a completely different way of running a business. And overall, I think it's um, a way more efficient and, and way smarter way to build it. I think whenever you're relying on yourself to do 80% of the work, uh, you know, if anything happens to you, the business is screwed. So um, yeah, I think that was one of the biggest things is just looking at, okay, I can scale this way larger than I'm, I'm thinking right now. Um, You know, I was looking at only getting one property and then within the course of a year, um, you know, I got uh, an Airbnb arbitrage and then I got a, uh, oh, a six unit um, property. And then I bought two more units as well. So just like it scaled super fast when I realized I can leverage other people. I can, um, yeah, like partner with people, or I can just use their expertise and use their contacts. Um, just don't do it by myself. Keep talking to people, keep on asking for advice. Um, and I think kind of to, to the point that you were talking about with the, you know, knowing, um, bank terms and like the mortgage terms for, for what I need to qualify. Um, I think a big piece that I focused on a lot early on that helped is I look for all the gatekeepers to my success. So who are going to be those people who are kind of able to put the yes or no. And I either go and you know, kind of butter them up, like get, get to know them, have a good relationship there. But I also tend to ask them a lot about what would I need to do to make you say yes? What are the things that would be more encouraging for you to see when you're talking to a potential, uh, you know, borrower? And so I just I had a lot of conversations like that with the mortgage people, the different people with insurance, with my realtor, I would go out for coffee with them and just say, okay, you know, what do I need to do to make this an easier situation for you and make it more likely that, you know, more likely that you're going to be the first you're going to bring me a deal first rather than, you know, coming to your top three buyers, first of all. So I, I think a lot of that has been super huge too, is just making sure that whatever the primary obstacles are that you're going to have to overcome to reach your success, kind of knock those out of the way, or at least minimize the damage that they're going to do to your road ahead of time. That's awesome. That's awesome. So the, the realtor piece of the puzzle, right? Like what, what makes a realtor want to see a deal and bring it to XYZ person. So, I mean, do you, yeah. are you willing to share maybe a little sneak peek yeah. of what, what, the, what will be the uh, reason they would come to you first? So I think one of the biggest things is we know that like they're motivated by sales, you know, they get that commission on the sale. And so I've done a lot for my realtor of trying to bring them other people. So if I know someone's looking to get into real estate, I typically I'll, I'll do a fair amount of research for them, help them find a property. Say like, okay, yeah, this is a good one. I'm not a realtor. So I, I call the realtor and I'm say, okay, I've got this person. They want to buy a house. This is the house that they're interested in. They're ready to put an offer in. And I basically just transfer the deal over to them. So it's pretty much a straight handoff. Um, and I think I've done it maybe four or five times now. So at this point, it's it, I've definitely provided a lot of value in that avenue. And also most of the properties that I've actually looked through for a person that are actually a good you know match for me, if I can't close on it, I go and I kick it out to all my other realtor friend or real estate investors around the area. So typically they know if I'm actually serious about wanting to go and see a house, looking at all the numbers, 
pretty much I'm going to either submit an offer or I'm bringing someone else in who's going to submit an offer. And I think, I think that overall has made them a lot more excited to, uh, you know, to refer things to me to kind of let me know before something's ever hit the market. Like, Hey, our, you know, our company is going to be listing this one over the next week. Is this one that any of your people would be interested in? Um, just yeah, providing value. And then I think as long as they know that you're going to close or you're going to find someone who will, I think they're definitely eager to bring a property your way. I love it. I mean, the, the adding, adding value, providing value. I mean, that, that's such a big kind of reversing the engine type of thing, you know, givers gain kind of mindset. And it sounds yeah. like that's kind of what you were doing with investor go, Brett, I'm going to go work for a month for free. Like yeah. seriously, seriously, bro, you're going to work for free. Okay. Like, yeah. How, how did that go? And, and that's, yeah. was that, was that a, an easy transition to work with her? Or? It was, yeah, I think, um, you know, especially with her case, you know, she's trying to do a startup at this point of, you know, okay, I want to create a syndication. She knows there's a lot of money that could be gained, you know, on the farther end, but it's going to be a while, you know, there, there's a fair amount of startup with a syndication, a lot of marketing that goes on and, and then you actually have to perform on the deal enough, get the acquisition fees and, and, you know, then you get distributions finally. So I knew money was going to be one of the big issues for her is trying to figure out how do I build this team? I also knew that I knew enough of the different areas like the marketing, the website and the systems to get integrated for her that pretty much, yeah, I mean, like once I offered, hey, okay, let's just at least try it for a month. I'll work for free. I, I knew that was pretty much a shoe in at, at that point. So it, yeah, it was a pretty easy sale, I think, on that regard. Um, and for me, ultimately, you know, I would, I would recommend anyone do something like that. Like if you can get around someone who's got that kind of a following, that much education in real estate, and you can find a way where you can provide immense value. And if the only thing you get paid is to just know them and know their network, like that's, that's worth so much. Cause there's so many things you can do off of that. Um, kind of like with the whole bright investor company now as well, like, because I've built up this huge network of people now who are influencers in the space, I have so many more opportunities to potentially speak, go on podcasts, go on webinars, um, you know, advertise through them, potentially use certain people as affiliates. There's so many more opportunities that open because of just building this network out um, that pretty much any other future endeavor I go down, um, you know, I've got access to private money lenders now. And like, it just really, if you don't have a network, you need to start building that because it, it affects everything else. And it also makes it a whole lot more fun to go on this kind of a journey because there's a lot of stress involved in real estate, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it's something I can definitely relate with because I started my own social media journey just six, seven months ago in, in, uh, in July and literally just zero followers, you know, you just, I just kept posting every single day, learning a ton. And you start to see the same people come in your feed and they're doing stuff. And like you were saying before, comment, add value. And you start to kind of see people that are kind of in the same position as you are like posting every single day, working on their content every single day. And I see this probably more in, on Twitter, people with like 300 followers, 500 followers, thousand followers that are just, you know what, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to build my brand. I'm going to post content, add value every single day. And that consistency mm -hmm. just stands out. And, and yeah. that, that's the stuff that just transcends, like being able to find your tribe, you know, and kind of learn from each other, build your kind of community and, you know, just knock down doors, stair step your way up yeah. for time. And, yeah. you know, like getting in the door with you know, Brandon Turner and investor mm -hmm. go Brett, like not everybody has the belief or the vision to want to go do that stuff or, or the, the balls to say, I'm going to work for free. You know, you have to be mm -hmm. pretty confident in your skills and confident that you're going to be able to have other shit, you know, kind of worked out to be able to go work, work a month for free, you know, but yeah, like that didn't happen overnight. Right. I mean, that takes time to build that infrastructure up to be able to yeah. do those kinds of things.
Yeah. Well, I, I think I think especially of the whole uh, you know working for free or providing value, I think of a lot of it as the whole piece of either I'm going to pay for education by paying money, you know, to get to be part of some kind of mastermind, or I'm going to pay for education by failing and you know learning from my failures, or I can pay for education by not making money and doing free internships or working for people for a while for free. Um, so there's, there's multiple ways to kind of pay for education, and I felt that. Um, not just education, but then building up a network of friends who I can call on whenever I have a big issue or problem, um, that that ultimately was going to be the biggest thing that would guarantee my success is if I knew that I always had uh, not just a knowledge bank, but also, you know, all of their network that's connected to that. A lot of times I'll, you know, if I'll ask Britt about, hey, I have this question on syndications, blah, blah. She's like, oh, you should talk to this lawyer. Okay, awesome. You know, like that was very, very easy. And now I know the lawyer to talk to and I can schedule a call. Mm -hmm. Like it just, there's so much more than just only their experience that comes with building those kind of relationships. I think it's hundred percent worth the time. And, you know, I I don't have anything against masterminds or groups or anything like that, but building the one-on-one connection instead, where it really is you and that person having a relationship. I think that's really crucial. Yeah. There's a person that I've been, you know, following a little bit then just been trying to understand more of how they do their, their, their thing. Um, Pace Morby. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole buy it, get into it, get, get it or loan it, and then get yourself financing on the back end. Yep. And uh, so, so it sounds like you're familiar with that. Ish. Yeah, I've been following, following around on his whole like uh, Gator loans and everything like that. Uh, not super deep, uh, you know, I, I haven't gotten super deep into it, but I've definitely been watching a lot of people going through it. Uh, I think I'm part of his Facebook group in there and such, but yeah. The biggest question, just kind of off off tangent here, the biggest question that I have is, okay, I go get a DSCR loan. Let's just say it's a hundred grand. I go get a DSCR loan for seventy thousand dollars. Say you're going to put down thirty percent. I I have the money for the down payment. Boom, mm-hmm. I bring it. And um, but let's say that you're going to you, let's say you're going to do a DSCR loan or a, mm-hmm. a, a gate loan, whatever. Yeah. Now, the money flows from one escrow. Done. The seller receives a hundred grand. Mm-hmm. The Second set of escrow, a different transaction. Maybe it's the same day. Maybe it's a different day. I don't know. Yeah. That 30 grand for the seller financing that's been, you know, negotiated to a point. You have a new, a new note. And now mm-hmm. that seller financing is done. But the title company is required to let that, that first trust know, right? And they don't, those, that, that lender doesn't want to have a second trust on top of it. So that's the part that I'm trying to figure out is how, how do these, how do they get through those, those, you know, hurdles of, getting that seller financing on the back end when, you know, cause, cause he's talking about doing it with zero money down, essentially, you know, yeah. having a, a, you know, first and second for the full price. I mean, any thoughts on that or that's something you're, you're aware of? It's something I've like really honestly, just this past two weeks been like, I, I was so confused. I kept hearing the term gator loans. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not familiar with that term. So I've really honestly just started this past two weeks looking into that whole idea. You know, I've, I've looked at seller financing, but I haven't been super, uh, you know, I guess, uh, in tune with the whole, like assuming mortgages or doing like the debt service, I'm assuming that's debt service cover ratio, right? Like yep. that's the, that type of one. Yeah. I'm not super familiar with that. Like every time I've gotten into it too deep, I've kind of been like, well, I have other options, you know, to buy properties right now. So I haven't done a ton of in- information digging actually on that, but it's a good question. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're on the same page on that. But, yeah. So from a, a syndication standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, if you were to explain that to the layperson out there, um, in just simple terms, how, how would you explain that? Yeah, a syndication. So ultimately, basically, uh, I find it kind of easy to just bring it down to a simple aspect of, you know, okay, if you're looking to buy a property, um, 
you know, we know that you can either use money from a bank or you could do private lending, like a, you could get in a partnership or something like that, but you're, you're using other people's money. Nonetheless, when it comes to a syndication, typically what that means now is you're going to be pulling multiple investors to buy one property. Um, there's different forms of syndications that you can do, but essentially let's say that I have a, you know, a $10 million apartment complex that I want to buy. I'm in no place to buy a $10 million apartment apartment complex, but let's say I've built up this company that's amazing at finding and analyzing and managing uh, apartments. So I, I know I have the team to manage it. I just don't have the money. What you can do is you can start up a syndication and you can raise money from different investors who potentially have already, you know, they've already built their businesses. They've made their money. They're not wanting to play an active role in investing anymore. They just want to do the passive, write the check, send it on and have someone else do something with it, but they don't want to do stocks. It's it's very similar. It's kind of like the stocks of real estate in a sense uh, is kind of how I look at it. Um, ultimately, I think it's probably the ideal view for most people who want their money in real estate, but don't want to be doing the day-to-day -day work of it. Um, and, and there's a lot of benefits too with that. Like there's, um, you can pass on depreciation through syndications. Um, there's different tax benefits that can that can go on with syndications depending on how they're formatted. But yeah, so so from the management side, basically you you found a property, you've created a syndication company, typically like an LLC that people are all going to create, like uh, put their investments into. It essentially there's there's two different ways, or uh, sorry, three primary different ways that you can go about raising money with it. So you can either do it privately, where you just it's people that you know, you have a personal connection with them, um, you let them know about the deal, you you basically walk them through the whole thing and, and you manage raising money from them. What a lot of bigger influencers are doing is instead they're marketing the fact that they have a syndication company out to all of their followers. They don't have a personal connection with them. So with that, what, what you have to really be careful on is you have to make sure that the people that you're raising money from are accredited investors, which I believe means if you're a single person, I believe it's a uh, million dollar net worth minimum, uh, and I, th I think the other is like if you're making 250000 or more. Um, I forget exactly the terms. I know I think it's changed a bit over the years, depending. That's but the primary right. thing is just, yeah, it's just making sure that they're actually, they've had enough money to actually know uh, what wise investing is and kind of how to um, manage money. Because you don't want to be, you know, preying on a bunch of people who make $40,000 a year and you're taking all of their savings, putting it into something and, oh, there's the risk. You have no more money, you know. But yeah, so so there's a couple different forms that you can uh, invest. And then the biggest reason that it helps so much is just that companies that are looking to scale and don't have money out of their current active deals uh, and can't pull any equity out at that point, they can just keep on getting this flood of money coming in. And so that's where you see, you know, companies like Open Door Capital, you see IGB Capital, um, Cedar Creek Wealth, a bunch of these different syndication companies, and they're just exploding with the number of units that they're buying. And, and there's not necessarily no way, but it would be a whole lot harder to grow at anywhere near that rate if you weren't utilizing other people's money. So it's tricky as heck to get into syndication. So I definitely caution anyone who's looking at just doing a, a giant crowdfunding to really make sure you have your bases covered because there's there's a lot of legal trouble you can get into if you aren't, you know, crossing your T's, dotting your I's. Um, but it's, it's definitely, it's an awesome form of real estate investing. I definitely want to get into it someday here soon. So, so as you kind of look at the future here, you got um, bright investor. You've got your own real estate stuff that you're going to continue to do. You know what? What's the for, for the real estate side of things? Kind of what's the next move that you'd like to be able to do in the next year or two? 
What's what's your next you know type of type of transaction? Is it here in Missouri? Is it somewhere else? What type of deal? Mm-hmm. So I'm looking to. I want to get a portfolio done first in Missouri that completely covers my expenses. So get the whole you know financial freedom. I think it's like level two where you know you've got all of your basic expenses covered. I'd like to build that just in Missouri first of all. Uh, from there, then I'm looking to move out probably to Chattanooga or Lynchburg. Um, I just I like those ones. Their rent to price ratio on average, I, I really like that aspect. So I'm looking to move out, but that'll probably be about two years from now down the road. Uh, looking primarily to still stay in the single family, maybe duplex type range. I just, if I'm only going to have a couple properties in Rala, I, I want them kind of spread out around the area because I'm not totally sure where Rala is going to grow primarily. But yeah, just looking to kind of keep adding maybe two or three a year um, for the next two years and then looking to expand out in Chattanooga. And that's when I intend to more hit hard uh, and start scaling up, primarily staying just in the multifamily okay, type. So long-term rents. Okay. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I got into the uh, short-term rental and it's it's interesting, but it's honestly like its own entire company. It really does not feel like an investment uh, to me, honestly. So I'd rather spend all my working hours on Bright Investor, making sure that that builds out, make my money off of there and invest that into real estate that's more passive, um, you know, using property managers, things like that. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. So for, for Bright Investor, you know, the launch is coming up mm-hmm. in March. How do you envision this looking in terms of scale growth? You know, like what's, what's, what are some of the next steps after the launch? Yeah. So after launch, we're looking at bringing on affiliates is one of our biggest things. We want to start creating kind of a community around this and, and helping to, you know, build brand awareness. We're looking to, within the first six months, try to get to about that a thousand subscriber mark. We think it's definitely possible. The value itself. You know, the, the whole vision for Bright Investor came out of a personal need that I had of, you know, I was looking all over the US, what markets do I want to invest in? And it you know, took me probably 30 to 40 hours of reading and looking at tons of different sites. I probably paid over $300, you know, a month in subscriptions to view this data. And ultimately it was just like, okay, you know, I've been researching and I'm, I'm seeing all these different zip codes come up for the crime's sake. And now I'm going over here and I can't remember which zip codes it is that now have the best rent. And it, it's just it's a lot of data to be crossing over. So I have a lot of faith in Bright Investor being something that'll be valuable and I'm already using it for, you know, every time that I get a new property, I'm plugging it in there and seeing it. And that, that's kind of why I've chosen uh, Chattanooga and Lynchburg is just seeing, seeing the seeing area. Like, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, so, exactly. So if this is the stock market, this conversation that's not published yet could be considered insider information. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. There could be a little bit of data on that. Yeah. No, that, that's awesome. I'll have to check it out. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole short-term rental side of things, it's just, it's, it's such an interesting, you know, I call it a game. Um, yeah. But it's just blown up in, in different markets. And some markets are more established than others. And some other markets, you know, have just put the clamps down on terms of regulation and licensing and permits and all that stuff. Um, yeah. You know, that as an, as an out-of-state investor, because I, I have stuff in Florida. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm under that classification, I guess you'd say. Yep. Um, but, you know, in my mortgage job, Every day, it seems like I'm talking to somebody that's looking to be able to purchase, you know, cross state lines, uh, <laughs> short term rentals, long term rentals, multifamilies, et cetera. It's just such an interesting uh, dynamic to be talking to somebody from a thousand miles away who's buying maybe a thousand miles the other direction yeah. and trying to get the data um, to see if it's going to be a sound investment. Because at the end of the day, all you can do is make the best guess on the data that you have. Yep. And, you know, to have something, a tool out there that could help bridge the gap on um, pulling some of this data into one portal mm-hmm. seems pretty cool. Um, so 
in terms of the the types of data, can, can you guys give a refresher on the types of data? And is it is it residential, commercial, or what's the the data the data look like? Yeah, so the data we've catered the whole thing towards the residential investor. So there are some programs out there already for commercial real estate investors. Um, I believe they cost, I think it's around $3,000 a month. So it's definitely a, a lot higher barrier to entry. Um, so that's kind of why we wanted to bring the cost down like crazy and focus it more just towards data that, you know, uh, short-term rentals, long-term rentals kind of would most benefit from. Um, so we we have, uh, like I said, the crimeometer, crime data, um, rentometer rents, uh, Mashvisor rents. We use Atom data for a lot of our uh, appreciation sales. Um, so you can kind of see what zip codes are appreciating better and faster than other ones around it. Um, we've got school data from great schools, uh, dot dot com. I can't remember right now, but, uh, we're using great school data. And then, um, let's see, we have industry growth, uh, and then kind of within all of that, we also have like, you know, you have either like the rent data of just, you know, here's what the average rents, median rents, top 75th percentile stuff. But then we've also got like, okay, looking at the zip codes, uh, what, where are the best rent areas, just color maps. So heat maps and everything like that as well. It's not just the data, but it's, you know, again, visualizing it in multiple different mediums. Um, so same with crime, you can see a heat map or you can see individual incident, or you can just see where is crime going up and where's crime going down. It just hel helps to kind of look at it through multiple different lenses back to back. Cool. So take a five-year vision. I mean, what, what do you hope? happens in five years with, with the company? Yeah, ultimately, what we're really looking at is, you know, we'd love to see it grow to around 10,000 plus users um, within five years. That would be, that's kind of the the dream is to to be a product out there that a lot of investors are using um, to make sure that they're maximizing their rental portfolio. You know, if, if you've got five different properties, you're looking at making a, you know, a jump on and you look at it on the appreciation scale and you go, oh, well, you know, these three options are all in a much worse appreciating area than these two. Okay, let's go a lot harder on these because ultimately that's going to make a lot more money down the road if you're always optimizing the area of every single one of your uh, you know, investments, your portfolio is going to grow way larger. So we'd, we'd love to see that it's just an adopted piece of software, kind of like Rentometer and Crimeometer have been where it's just before you make a, an offer, you go and you check it. It's just, it's a part of the habitual process of underwriting. So yeah, we'd like it to see it just be a common tool used. We're really looking at trying to integrate it with other platforms. So we're trying to figure out ways to make it more friendly where it just becomes part of your overall system. So not really looking to expand its use into other areas. Like we wouldn't want to do anything with driving for dollars, nothing like that. Um, but looking at ways for, you know, if we could collaborate with Deal Machine or if we could collaborate with PropStream, these different ways to um, just make it all part of a better system, help them out, help us out. Um, yeah, mainly just looking to grow in integrations rather than in application. So the pulling all the software together to make all these these systems run, mm -hmm. how has that been? Who's who's been working on that part of it? Yeah, it's it's been a lot. <laughs> We've you know discussed with a lot of these different companies to get uh, you know permissions and contracts in place, obviously to be able to use their data. But then for the actual you know building out the software, bringing all of the different APIs together. Um, we brought on uh, David Lopez. He's out in Maui. I met him while I was working with Brandon. Um, so he kind of began heading up development in the initial phase. Um, and I've kind of been working in tandem with him, uh, managing developers. Uh, we've brought on three different VAs from uh, Mexico, Colombia, and India. Um, and they've been just killer. 
Um, we used Upwork for that to find all of them. Cool. Um, yeah, so basically just bring on all of them. We're, we've been using uh, like Amazon Web Services for all our data hosting, uh, oh, MongoDB for our actual database. Uh, I mean, I don't know, we, we, we tallied up all the things. I think we're using over 40 different softwares at this point to kind of pull the whole thing together, like uh, different APIs and such. So it's, it's definitely a huge collaboration of things. And that's just been a lot of research and a lot of talking with the developers, figuring out, you know, okay, what's standard for a SaaS company like this um, and then supporting them as best as we can. So go back 15 years. Did you ever envision yourself starting your own business, getting in the real estate world? Was that something that you've been thinking about for a long time or did it come out of nowhere? The software side, yes. I'd say at this point, I mean, 15 years ago, I guess I was like eight. So maybe maybe not ten, too much 12, at that 10 point. Years, 10 years ago. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. So let's say like that. Yeah, I, I got into computer programming when I was 10. So I did that just all day long. I absolutely loved it. I'd make games, make websites, whatever. Um, so I definitely saw myself going into software eventually. I really, really had that dream. The real estate threw a curveball around age 18, 19. Um, and... So I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I kind of thought I was just going to go full into real estate. And I loved real estate when I got into it. Um, but I also really missed the aspect of just like creating these kind of projects. So um, yeah, definitely did not see any kind of future with real estate. I thought it was kind of one of the, you know, it sounded almost like insurance or some of those other jobs that are like, man, I don't think that's many kids dream jobs growing up. I don't know. Like, it, um, But yeah, I mean, once, once you figure out all the risk involved and the creativity, the strategy, it definitely becomes a whole lot a whole lot more fun. That, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm just thinking t- about myself here for a second. Like mm-hmm. you're 22 spitting out mortgage terms, buying, buying, trying to buy a property. I didn't know what a mortgage was at 22. I've been doing this for 16 years now. I was at 23, graduated with an econ degree, working at the melting pot, t- serving tables, having like <laughs> a, a blast. Like we had all kinds yeah. of friends like that I grew up with all working at this restaurant. Uh, if you're a manager that worked at the multi-pot, I'm sorry that I, you had to uh, <laughs> manage me. I'm sorry. Uh, but we had so much fun. And then I got a job at Citigroup, you know, and uh, in 2006. Mm-hmm. And Kim Dodson, who, you know, I still talk to every now and then, you know, she used to come in with her with her kids with grades, you know, the report cards. And, you know, she kept requesting the one I were sitting in my, in my section. Like, okay, this is awesome. And we had regulars like that every now and then. Um, but after like a year, she's like, I want to try to get you a job. I'm going to get you an interview and this is what we're going to do. So I didn't know what a mortgage was, but she got me an interview. I got a job. You know, I think my degree from WashU probably helped out. Like I looked yeah. good on paper, so to speak. And I got my feet what they had a, a, a great training program, you know? And so mm-hmm. then I did what I did for how many years. And so yeah, here you are at 18 thinking about real estate. I mean, that's not the average person, um, mm-hmm. which is, which is crazy which and cool. If you were going to give advice to somebody that's 18 or 22 mm-hmm. or 28, because again, on this channel, we don't care where you are right now in your journey. Like there's, you can't change the past, but you can change the future. That's what we're all yeah. about. What type of advice would you give to somebody that wanted to be able to not necessarily real estate, but just wanted to be able to do something entrepreneurial, build a business, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And what, what, what comes to mind? I think one of the biggest things that I've done a lot, uh, throughout growing up, kind of all throughout teenage years was looked at the people who I actually envied their lives and go talk to them and say, okay, what do you do? What are you doing? That's different. Um, you know, what, what are you looking forward to? What are you pouring your time into? Um, so there's one of my friends, uh, his name is John Nisbet and he basically, he just, I kept on seeing that 
my gosh, he's out in Colorado again. And now he's in Utah and now he's over here and he's like, he's everywhere. And he's, you know, only maybe like six years older than me. Um, and he's, you know, snowboarding every other week. It seems like it's like, well, heck in six years, I'd like to be doing that. And so, you know, kind of talking to him and he had gotten more into business, making himself just an asset to basically anyone, you know, like anyone who talks to him, they walk away smarter and happier for having had the conversation. So talking to him and then talking to other people who financially were where I wanted to be and not always, uh, I guess like their lifestyle wasn't always where I wanted it to be, but still just trying to gather different data. I'd say that's one of the biggest things, you know, gather data of the people who you want to be like, even if it's only in like certain key areas and then kind of craft together a vision from all that different stuff. You know, what do you want your life to look like? So for me, um, you know, freedom of time, ability to do adventure. I think that's crazy important. Um, I, I love risk and adventure. So I, I just, I knew that needed to be a part of it. Um, and that really only comes from a fair amount of free time and uh, enough money to travel. But then I think a really big importance too is look at what do you need your life to look like and strategize how you can make both possible. So for me, family is super important. Friends are super important. I'm a huge extrovert. Um, just like having fun all the time is crazy important to me. If I'm not having fun, I try to quickly pivot and figure out, you know, what what's bogging me down so much that I'm, you know, depressed or bored or whatever, you know, how can I bring some pizzazz and fun into what I'm doing? Um, that I don't think has come as much from experience of other people. That's more just been something that I've had to kind of grind out, figure out how I can leverage other people and then kind of just priority stack. Just know that, okay, you know, like yesterday was a snow day. Um, there was snow everywhere. It was probably 10 inches deep. And so I woke up and I was like, well, I worked, I don't know, probably 10 or 11 hours yesterday. I'm just going to have a snow morning. So we went, snuck over to one of our friend's house, me and my wife, and we just began barraging their house with snowballs and did a snowball fight for three hours. And, you know, then came home, had lunch, and then I went back to work and whatever. And it's, it's knowing where certain priorities are that give you enough energy and like enjoyment of life to then jump back into the grind and the hustle and the mundane that's required for still getting ahead, but um, not allowing it that you just, you pour so much time that then you wake up, you know, 10 years later and you finally hit your financial goals and you're fat, you don't have any friends and like, you're not where you want to be because, you know, it, if you're financially free, but you can't go surfing because you, you know, you have joint problems now, that's no fun either. So I think definitely prioritizing the other areas of lifestyle while you pursue um, success is really important. So the whole balance idea, mm -hmm. right? I mean, like, I know personally, I have my own opinions on that, but how do you view balance versus prioritizing? Yeah, I, so I've listened to like David Goggins stuff for a fair amount. And he, he talks a lot about that. It's not about balance in a sense. It's like, you know, sometimes you really need to look at what's important and completely tilt the scales and you're just all in on something. Um, I really like that. Cause I think I focus so much on balance that it, made everything kind of boring. Like I was, I was never aggressively passionate about anything. Everything was in kind of a mix. And I, you know, I felt almost ashamed to overly share my dreams because it was, it seemed kind of you know, like, Hey man, chill out a bit, you know? So, um, I think it's, it's important to really just like write out a list, like write out, what do you want your life to be like? And then be real with yourself. What's it going to take to get there in five years or, you know, however long of a vision you're looking at. Um, and then if there are certain pieces, like for instance, I, you know, I really want to be building some muscle this, the next two years, I really want to build muscle, build more athleticism back. Um, and just, I want that to be a priority. And so if it is, then I need to be, you know, okay, every morning now, I'm, you know, throughout the week, I'm going to the gym and then I'm 
doing sports like, you know, three or four times a week, if I can, I'm like, I'm prioritizing it and I'm scheduling it in my calendar. And if a meeting needs to happen, it has to be scheduled around that. It's just, it's kind of a non-negotiable. Um, so I, I treat the other areas of my life that are important. I treat them like their other business, you know, meetings and stuff that I would say, Hey, sorry, I can't, you know, I can't do this because I've got this meeting. So it's kind of the whole idea of, um, if I wouldn't schedule a date or something like that in place of this meeting, because I already have a business meeting at this time, then I'm not going to schedule a business meeting in the place of where I already have a date because they, they both hold an equal importance right now of, you know, in my life and where I'm going. So I think, I don't, I don't think you always have to be actively trying to figure out, am I balancing everything as much as just prioritize the things that are important by putting in them in your calendar and then actually doing them when it hits that time. Um, and just not wavering on that. If it's set in your calendar, go ahead and do it. And then you don't have to use so much mental stress to make sure that you're balancing all of these different areas. Love it. Um, in terms of like your peak optimal hours, are you a morning person, middle of the day person, late person? Where, where do you fall in the category? So I think this is probably with most programmers. I would say they're almost like 90% of them at least are all night people by far. So I ever since I was probably 11, I was staying up till like 1am and then eventually till like 3am programming because it was just, I massively thrived in the zone. night. Yeah. Get into a huge zone. Like once I get past 11 o'clock at night, I'm just a tank and I can just keep on going and going. And so it's like, it's really hard because I know that that's, that's amazing for my ability to output software and problem solving. But then when it comes to other areas of lifestyle, I know that I need to be a morning person for it. So, uh, so I've been very strongly shifting myself towards being a morning person. So I'm getting up on average around 5:45 each morning now. Um, cool. Get to the gym at six and kind of deal. Just like trying to trying to work that in, so I actually have enough time to set up my day, do my reading, and everything like that before I've started working. And that's overall been good, but it's been quite a stress because I still tend to go to bed at 1 a.m. So it, it makes for light sleep. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, right? Like, there's only so much time in the day to get stuff done. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, at the end of the day, choose what we decide to spend our time on, whether, whether we're consciously thinking about it or it's our subconscious taking over and going in our typical routines or programs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, like I said before, the average person that's 23 is not running a business, not building a business. And, and so what, what would you say has, uh, what type of skill set or trait has kind of put you in a position to be able to do these kinds of things where the other person may not be able to, or even want to? Yeah, I think um, that's a good question. Probably one that I honestly haven't thought a ton about because I've just kind of, like I've said, you know, I, I jump out of the plane and I just start doing. Um, I think one of them is just the willingness and ability to just go ahead and do the next step. Um, I kind of like I'm talking about, I don't really get too like paralyzed by analyzing a situation. I, I kind of just go, oh, okay, that's the next step. And I go have that conversation or I go and do that thing. Um, and so I, I know that that's a hard one because I, I think a lot of people, honestly, that's just so ingrained in their personality that it's, it's hard to get outside of that. But I think, especially if you're an integrator and not a visionary, um, I think a lot of people who are, you know, struggling with analysis paralysis are amazing visionaries often because they tend to have just a million ideas and they tend to have a lot of struggle executing them. Um, but I think like if you're, if you're in the role of integrator where you are over, a bunch of people and basically you just you have a vision that someone else has told you and you've broken it all down into steps and you just have to ensure that the steps happen um 
having the ability to kind of just not don't pause before every single step, just start getting stuff done. And if something messes up or something goes wrong, um, figure it out from there. Don't, don't wait to make sure that you're doing everything right before you start taking action. Obviously, as soon as it comes into the legal sphere, make sure that you're being careful. Right. But, um, but really, it's, I, I think a lot more harm can be done by not taking action than can be done by taking too much action um, too fast. Because then as long as you're taking action, typically you can take enough steps to get yourself out of a bad situation as well. Yeah, I, I love it. And that's what's just so interesting about this business world, right? Like things that I've learned along the way, um, and I have a sales coach, you know, that I've been working with and, and, and my partner, Mike, we, are, we, we believe in the whole coaching thing to be able to get you into systems and take you out of your comfort mm -hmm. zone and just understanding that people are just wired differently, you know, like the visionary yeah. and the integrator, like they're wired differently. You have your person that's never going to be one of those and they're going to be in a different role there and they're going to be better, more satisfied, you know, being in a position that they're going to be executing other roles, right? Like that's just kind of how life works and just understanding those things. It's just, it's interesting. And, and you know, there's all kinds of books and, and um, you know, um, courses on this kind of stuff, you know, the, per, the whole mm -hmm. personality stuff. Yeah. Um, do you think you, you, do you, do you envision yourself ever kind of getting to that next uh, part of the equation, you know, the visionary uh, at some point down the road? Not that it matters, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, it's no, just, yeah. Things evolve, right? And, and hold on. I think it's like, yeah, good. Yeah. The, the reason why I asked that question is you were saying before, like the, the nighttime question with the computer program where 90% of people are nighttime people, not, not daytime people. I mean, what percentage of computer programmers would you say are extroverts? <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know. <laughs> like, like 2%? Probably, probably like, yeah, I was going to say like, yeah, like two or 5%. Probably. Yeah. Like so, of the actual like serious programmers. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I mean, that's the reason why I asked this question is that like things evolve, like you got this kind of blended type of skill set in terms of extrovert, you know, going and knocking down doors on, on Instagram to Brandon Turner and then the investor girl Brit, like, like that's not a computer programmer type of personality. So, yeah. um, it's just, I think, I think it's interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's honestly, I've so much of who I am and like, just, I've grown so much in mindset, uh, over the past three years. That I would not be surprised if I change over to visionary. I think the problem is I still just I always want to be working on the project. I I really struggle with the whole just keep on brainstorming, keep on brainstorming. Um, my older brother, he's an amazing brainstormer, like perfect typical uh, visionary. I've so far in all of my life, I still just I start doing stuff. Like I'd rather have my hands in it. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean I may. I know I'm already continually going more and more into the visionary section from the sake that I'm constantly looking for ways to leverage and hire out work. So I'm definitely not getting caught in work. And so in that way, then I do have to also help uh, convey a lot of the vision and, and it's more managerial than it is doing the individual tasks. I feel like I'm just not quite creative enough, honestly, to, uh, to be the person who comes up with 30 ideas a day. I just kind of like, if, if I have one idea, I just start working on it rather than like, you know, keep on brainstorming. So I don't know. I'm curious to see where that goes. Yeah. Like five years yeah. from now, am I going to be really shifting hats at that point? Yeah. And, and like, for me, I, I'm a numbers guy. Like I grew up, like I was an AB student, had, had good GPA, whatever. My worst subject was like literature, writing, reading, writing. Like that was just my, my worst subject. It just wasn't my thing for whatever reason. Yeah. And I never, ever thought I'd, I'd be putting content out, out. 
like ever. It just yeah. never crossed my mind, but like certain things happened, pushed me out of my comfort zone and I just started doing, doing some stuff. And like, here I am putting more content on, on Twitter, Instagram, this podcast, not necessarily all that written content, but like putting get together a plan, you know, putting ideas out there, trying to be able to educate, you know, et cetera. Yep. And along the way, like, I just got to this point where I said to myself, shitty content is better than no content. Like, yeah. like and this is the thing I tell other people is like, your first six months, no one is going to give a shit about what you're saying because they're not going to yeah. see it. No one's going to yeah. see it. That's just how the <laughs> algorithm is. It's literally just practice. Yeah. Right. It's practice. So, and so like, I was able to just do it, do it, do it, learn. And then like, okay, I kind of, now I know where I'm trying to go with this. And, and now I'm kind of creating my own voice with this. Yeah. But anyway, the part of the reason why I bring it up is that like, going through this entire process, I have an, I, I have more clarity of where I want this business to go for me, this, this platform. Mm -hmm. And it kind of dovetails into this kind of your experience a little bit in terms of being young, getting into real estate, building a business, building wealth. Um, because not everybody is at that point in their life where they want to, or will never be in the point in their life where they're, they're going to, they're, they're going to want to do that. They may just be at a point where they're going to be, you know, just getting by. Yeah. And, you know, for strive for 25, I talk about the stair step method which is, mm -hmm. you know, just something that I, it's my, the term that I use for somebody that buys a house, live in it for a couple of years, save up, buy the next one, and then turn the old mm -hmm. one into a rental. Yep. Do it again a couple of years later and just stair step your way up. And the example that I've given uh, multiple times is, you know, if you buy a property for 150 and then 250 and then 350 and then 450, that's mm -hmm. a total of $1.25 million in portfolio value. But then you yeah. take like 30 years and you yeah. got renters paying down your mortgage values going got up. Appreciation. Say, yeah. Appreciation. That's a $3 million portfolio. Yeah. Like a $3 million <laughs> portfolio by buying one house. You have to be able to make that a reality. You have to start somewhere. Yeah. And so that's the message that, well, one of the messages that I think is important for the everyday person to know is that like, Hey, you don't have to have, you know, the vocals of uh, Beyonce or Kelly Clarkson or dunk a basketball mm -hmm. like LeBron. Who, yep. you know, amazing what he does. Um, there's other ways to be able to get ahead and, and you don't have to be glamorous about it. There's ways, you know, the millionaire next door kind of mindset. Yeah. And, you know, that's just one example of ways that people can, can, can do things and it takes a certain set of skill set to be able to make it ha happen in reality over, over that, that time frame. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing is that, well, the average person is just barely getting by in terms of being yeah. able to save money because saving money is, is one major step in terms of being able to then invest. And then if you choose real estate, great. Choose mm -hmm. NFTs or stocks, whatever, great. But you have to be able to put money away and save first. And yep. so the average person in their 20s or 30s is at a point in their earning journey that's not going to be as high as it would be maybe later on their journey. So it's a struggle mm -hmm. to be able to put money away. But time is being on your side, putting money away mm -hmm. sooner is a path to be able to build wealth. So yeah. we're talking about side hustles and what's somebody, what's something that somebody can do to be able to build extra income on the side. And, you know, the reason why I bring that up is one of the things that we want to do on this channel is we're going to, we want to take a thousand people out there and help a thousand people over some uh, uh, course of time to be able to mm -hmm. then build a side hustle or a second stream of income that's generating an extra thousand a month. Yeah. And if somebody can save an extra thousand dollars a month from where they are today, and then yeah. maybe in a year, be able to invest, they're going to be much better off than they were before. And not only that, I was, just, I just put this out yesterday because I was uh, having an intro call uh, on from the podcast and um, a local guy here, and he was talking about how he did these, these projects, these uh, software coding projects for a couple mm -hmm. of potential startups. And they didn't, they didn't work out two different ones okay, for yeah. you. It didn't work out. And he's like, you know, at, at the end of the day, like it sucked that we spent all this time and energy. Like I was, 
doing this on my, on my lunch break. I was doing this late at night. I was like not mm -hmm. going out with my friends and I was doing this stuff and everyone was naysaying and questioning me what I was doing, like calling me this, this mm -hmm. and that. And he said, you know what? Like, I don't regret it because I got really good at what I did at my job because it helped me sharpen my skills at my job. And I got pay yeah. raises there. And I'm like, now you're more viable. Like, yeah. Like it's, it all just complements each other. And, you know, at the end of the day, like I know when I was 23 or 25, I wasn't thinking about a side hustle. Like I was working at the restaurant as a side hustle because I loved it. Like we had so much fun doing it. Like, yeah, I got help with the bills, but like the average person I'm talking to, you know, that's not doing a side hustle or not building a business, they're not even thinking about it. And so uh, our goal is to maybe shift the mindset or help shift the mindset or inspire somebody to think about things a little bit differently and what's possible. Yeah. Um, and so like, if you look at, I'm just going to ask you a personal question. If you look at your kind of personal network, which is probably different than what it was three or four or five years ago, as time yeah. has gone on, you kind of chosen who you, you want to be with, uh, be around. Um, mm -hmm. But how, how do you see the average 25 year old in terms of, do they believe that they can build wealth? Do they believe they can get ahead? Do they believe they can save and invest? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, especially around where I've grown up because it, it's not a, there's not much of a hustle community where I grew up. So like just the average 25 year old around me, um, I really don't see them honestly thinking about retirement at all. It just, it seems like the only main plans I've heard is like, you know, the typical 401k or um, IRA type deal that happened to come from their job. They didn't choose that job because it had it, but it did have it. So then they decided, okay, cool. I'll do that and get the company match. You know, maybe um, it's definitely, there's not near enough, uh, focus on that at all. And I think, you know, I, I don't get crazy into the whole economics just because I, I don't have a degree in it. I don't have enough education at this point yet still. Um, but the rate of like the rate uh, that inflation is going right now and the rate of, you know, printing the dollar and everything else that I'm seeing going on right now. Um, and then people are talking about, you know, when you retire, you'll be able to retire on, you know, $1.5 million or 2.5, whatever it is. I'm like, man, I don't know if in 40 years, that's going to be worth much at all. Like I almost, I have no idea what's going to happen with the dollar, but it's, it definitely looks like it's on a trajectory to be, a, you know, um, to be going up a lot faster than we typically use our calculations to think of what, how much am I going to need to be pulling? Cause a lot of people say, okay, you know, if you do this much, you'll be able to pull 40,000 a year. And it's like, Oh, that's awesome. But that may be equivalent to, you know, pulling 18,000 a year now. I, I don't know, but I yeah. definitely, that's where, um, I think that's like the huge power of real estate is that rent raises as it goes. Like you have rents match the local area. And if you have a paid down property, you know, you're, you're potentially like you were saying, you know, even if you only got like five properties, um, you can be making some awesome money um, because you don't know what the rent's going to appreciate to, but rent is generally going to reflect the power of the dollar depending on your market. Uh, but it's, it's going to pretty closely reflect what the dollar is doing overall and how much the dollar is buying in your area. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really wish a lot more people my age were looking into that. And so I definitely, I agree with your whole mission of, you know, trying to help a thousand people. Um, I've been doing that with like my sister, my brother, uh, one of my friends, actually, I guess like three of my friends, I've helped them all to buy their first house hack just to say like, okay, just get the one. I promise you, like, I mean, obviously like I'm having them read and listen to podcasts, but I'm like, just get one, learn the process. It'll be so much easier to get your second one. If you absolutely hate it, you can sell it. I'll probably buy it from you because for the most part, I've only gotten them to buy properties that I would have bought. Because um, it, it's just like, man, this sets you up for so much success, whether that's real estate or if that's 
you know, side hustles that you turn into a full-blown business or whatnot, just creating something bigger than just a typical retirement account, I think is going to be really crucial because you know, if the different things at least that I'm seeing in the news about what's happening to the dollar keep happening, um, we're going to be pretty screwed. Yeah. So two, two things to add on the, onto that, because we had uh, a gentleman by the name of Mark Oshiro on, uh, he's out of Hawaii and some of the things he said just like hit me hard. Mm. He, uh, he's a firefighter, um, also a real estate investor. Mm-hmm. And as a firefighter, he's got a pension and you have to serve a certain amount of years. And so, you know, something happened to his father, you know, he retired at 65 maybe and, and had a stroke, like, you know, pretty soon Shoot. after that, it's like, well, you, you work all those years and then mm-hmm. you retire and then shit goes the wrong way. I mean, he's doing okay right now, but just, it, yeah. just, it hits you. Right. And it's like, well, what if something happens to me, you know, tomorrow yeah. or a year, like I, I won't have a pension because I wouldn't have had the years potentially by that yeah. time. And so, you know, he said, you know, I have a pension. It's great, but that's, that's too risky. That's too risky to have that alone. Like I had a yep. buddy, he had a buddy that was investing in Pittsburgh, like buying mm-hmm. single families and multifamilies in Pittsburgh from, I think it's like 4,000 miles away, Hawaii to <laughs> Pennsylvania. It's like, I think yeah. it's like 4,000 yeah. miles away. I think it's more than that, honestly, because yeah, I think I'm about three, I think I'm about 3,800 miles from Maui. So it's, it's a okay. truckload of distance. Okay. Yeah, that's, okay. You it's would crazy. know, you would know yeah. because you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a girlfriend back in Missouri here. I, I was, I was counting the miles. <laughs> right. Right. And so like he got, he, I think he's up to 14 units after like only like two years, Jeez. you know, and had, a, awesome. had somebody that was already doing it and was able to kind of accelerate the learning curve and learn from their mistakes. And, you know, like the, there's a book um, by Gary Keller, the millionaire real estate investor. And it's yep. a good book. There's a lot of real estate, good, real estate books that are good, but there's yep. one part in this and I, I forget the exact quote, um, but there's a part of it in the book where he talks about like leverage. And this mm-hmm. is kind of how I explain it to clients is like, if you have $10,000 and you want to invest uh, in the stock market, and let's say you get 10%, which is, which would be a great year in the stock market. What's yeah. that return? Well, it's a thousand dollars. Awesome. Well, you take that same ten thousand. Let's say you were going to put it into real estate. Well, what does that do? Yep. Uh, ten thousand dollars. Well, let's say that's like basically three percent down for first time home buyer. You buy a home for three hundred thousand. Let's say you get three yep. percent appreciation in the first year. Yep. You and I both know what that's going to be. It's nine thousand dollars in that first year in terms of a home price appreciation. Yeah. Uh, but people I ask that question to, they they kind of you know wiggle around and don't get the answer right. Maybe it's one thousand mm-hmm. or five, like whatever the number is, because they're looking at the dollar yep. amount, not the actual the dollar amount that you put down. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, no, that's huge. It's like, right? wait, whoa, what? And that's only with a 3%, you know, okay, now let's say it's a value add property or let's say it's in a emerging market where it is maybe more like a nine or 10% appreciation right now. It's like, you have no idea how much money you could just suddenly shoot up in value. To- yeah. To- totally. And then like 30 years from now, and if you keep doing that, like sky yeah. is the limit. Like, yeah. And like I was reading something, you know, where someone was bashing real estate where they were saying, well, it was an article about like showing home prices uh, mm-hmm. over like 80 years or 100 years, like it was keeping up with inflation. Like you're basically just increasing your the value of the house with inflation. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, but your alternative is to go the opposite way. And then mm-hmm. you throw in the ability to be able to put 3% down on a property and you're getting the appreciation on the entire asset over time. Like it's a major yeah. hack in itself. And like, I don't think enough people realize the power of it and let alone know, because like, I, I have like me personally, I had to get to this mindset where like, you know, and, and it started because I read this book 
uh, by Tim Grover winning. Mm -hmm. And this actually happened uh, a couple of years ago. And then he talks about like Kobe and Michael, their mindset, like mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't count down to a deadline. They count up to a deadline. It's like, I'm not stopping until I get this thing done. Yeah. I'm not stopping. And so like, it just kind of changed the way I look at things. And it's like, you know what, if I want to go buy real estate, I know that I need to have this much money to do it. It's just like what you were saying before about like, this is what we got to do. I'm going to back reverse engineer how to get there and I'm going to make it happen. And now I'm going to go be in Maui, hanging out with Brandon Turner's property and whatever, which is. Yeah. Cool. No, um, I love that whole piece of the leveraging. Like, you know, if, if, if every single stock that you invested in, you got 10 times the return because you're like, everyone would be freaking out. They'd be using that hack left and right. Um, but no, instead, like, so whenever they look at these whole like return on investments, it's like, well, yeah, if you're buying properties cash, you know, then sure, that's, you know, you're only getting a three or maybe 5% return on investment on average. But like, you know, you multiply it by 10 or even like you're saying, you know, maybe multiply it if you're putting only 5% down, multiply it by 20. It's just, it's crazy the amount that you get there. I think one kind of key principle too to think of um, that's kind of what further blew my mind about real estate um, was the aspect that no matter what the price of the property, like the value of the property is appreciating at, you know, three or 5%. That doesn't matter how much equity is in it. And so if you, it's, it's the whole piece of, it's not just about return on investment, it's return on equity as well. Focus on that number. And, you know, if you've gone four years, five years or something like that, and there's a lot of equity in there, pull that out by another property. And now with not changing this one at all, you've gotten an entire another property that's also maybe same price and it's appreciating at some stupid, you know, rate as well. It's, you know, it, it's just crazy because you can't do that with stocks. You can't suddenly pull out, you know, a ton of money from the stock and go invest in another stock without it decreasing the value of the current stock you had compared to this one. Nope. The value stays the same. It's still appreciating at the same rate. And you've pulled your equity out and moved it along. So now overall, your portfolio is just performing better and better. And you can keep doing that. It's crazy. Um, it's it's just totally. completely, it's a whole different ballgame. And people, they don't focus on it. They think about it as like cash purchase real estate. And they look at it just as that, like the rent is the primary thing that you're looking at as income. And they don't think about the fact that you can be moving equity around. It's like, man, when you get in the game of leveraging equity to buy more properties at one-tenth of you know the price of the value and all of these across your you know portfolio is all appreciating at three percent time ten times whatever you put into it um, and you know, and again even multiple of them you didn't even put any money into you just took equity from one and shifted it to another um, like was my dad last year he he started getting into real estate kind of more once I started uh, bursting into it and he he bought a property last year um, and he put no money into it he just shifted equity from one of his other properties um, and. This year, uh, he just got it reappraised and it's grown by like $70,000. It's like, okay, for no money, <laughs> he got $70,000 in one year. Like, this is stupid, but it's just, that's the value of now not only having a portfolio, but having an asset that holds equity that you can transfer into more investments that appreciate it. Yeah, overall, huge gains. Totally. And, you know, the, I think the, the headlines out there are talking about huge house price crashes coming and whatever, like... Maybe prices go down. I don't know. Cause they did go up very, very quickly for a couple of years, mm -hmm. obviously, with the printing of money. Um yep. at, the, at the end of the day, like there's only so much real estate out there to have. There's only so much inventory out there. People are not selling their properties. Like mm -hmm. people are more aware of real estate being a vehicle to be able to build wealth. People are yep. holding on to more properties. People the old days, I don't know what old days, maybe it's 10 years ago, you know, before mm -hmm. social media was more pre prevalent. You know, there are more people that would, hey, I have to sell this property, buy the next one. I need the equity 
to be able yep. to have down payment and then also to qualify for the loan, et cetera. But yeah. you know, people, more people are just holding on. And not only that, more people have like a 3% rate or 2.75% rate. So they don't want to sell yeah. either. So yep. uh, it's just an interesting dynamic to, to, we can talk probably hours about. Um, <laughs> All this stuff, yeah. So it, last thing, I know we're running out of time here. Last thing. So part of the purpose of this platform is like the, the age old question, like, well, shit. What would I have told myself 10 years ago? Kind of a thing. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that we always say is, well, you know, hey, you know what? I was out 23, 25, whatever, you know, going to bars, hanging out with my friends, spending money. I was living, living in my parents' house till I think 26, mm -hmm. maybe, you know, so I was doing yeah. okay money wise, but I wasn't saving much. It's like, well, dude, dude, go do with all those things, but just take 10% mm -hmm. of your paycheck and put it into savings automatically and don't think about it. Yeah. Um, but like, then the other part of the equation is like talking about real estate, talking about these things. It's like, well, if I'm telling you this is the path, right? This is this is possible for you if you just go do it. Mm -hmm. Then the question is, well, if does the average 25 year old, even if they know the formula, even if they know the stuff, are they going to mm -hmm. listen? And I think that's that's part of the equation too. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on that part of it? That part, I think, ultimately, especially when it's like the younger 20s and stuff like that, I think a lot of what 20 year olds tend to do depends largely upon. Uh, just their circle of friends. I think it comes back to that, you know, the very typical thing of, you know, you're the average of the five or 10 people that you most spend your time with. Um, if you're spending with a bunch of people who do not think at all about retirement, they're not planning on budgeting. They're, they're not doing anything that's about saving more than they earn. Um, I, I think it's going to be really hard to set yourself apart and actually grow in that way. Um, I think that's constantly the biggest thing is if you can just, cause there are like, there's a lot of young professionals who are, serious about building businesses, creating wealth, you know, being smart with their money and still having a blast. You know, they're still going snowboarding. They're going on cruises. They're doing cool things because they're very proactive about how they spend their money first. And like you said, they're pulling that 10% out first before they go buy their stuff. They're, they're pulling the money out that's needed to meet their goals of investing first. And then if they have extra off the top, then cool. Maybe we'll go to Mexico or maybe we'll buy another investment so we can do even more cool stuff next year. But like they, they prioritize just the investing and prioritize setting up money. Um, and I think it makes this whole journey so much easier when you're instead excited about all the different steps that you're doing. So I think like if I was to go tell you know, other people in my age range or p tell people, you know, who are 18 or anything like that, I just say, get involved in community. And that's not just your local community, but that's also your social media community, you know, change out your friends, uh, stop, stop seeing posts constantly from friends who are just doing stupid stuff with their money, you know, make friends online on Facebook, forums, um, go to conferences, and then just like be very proactive about who you spend your time with, because it really ultimately, it affects your mindset and how willing you are to sacrifice uh, and work hard for the things that you ultimately do want. Uh, if you just have a bunch of people who are living more so for the now. Cool. Um, last thing, uh, where can everybody find you on social media? Yeah. So uh, if you want to find me, the main area would be uh, Instagram at Drew underscore McCluskey. That's M-C-C-L-U-S-K-E-Y. Um, or you can find me on Twitter at Drew McCluskey, R-E. Um, yeah, it's the main two places. If you want to see more about Bright Investor, you can go to brightinvestor.com. Um, we're right now doing kind of like a pre-launch sign up. So there's some free resources on there as well about you know what to look at uh, when getting a market. And that'll be launching in March. Um, and then you can also find Bright Investor uh, on Instagram at Bright Investor Official. Cool. 
Yeah. So looking forward to catching more of your journey here in the next few weeks and months. And I guess the last thing I'll say too, is like, I love, I love talking about this stuff and I know you do too. Yeah. And like talking about community and social media, like, you know, if, if you're out there and you're at the end of this episode, listening, you know, hour plus in, if you have questions, you know, drop a DM, yeah. drop a comment, whatever. Yeah. Don't, don't hesitate to ask questions. Like, like we love this stuff. So yeah. you know what, if you need help, ask the question, no harm. Worst thing that yeah. happens is no one responds. That's the worst thing that happens. Just do, then yep. just respond tomorrow. Ask, <laughs> ask again, no harm in that. Yep. You're not gonna hurt my feelings, nor Drew's. Yep. So nope. No, hundred percent. Like again, build that community, active networking. It, it's crucial. So yeah, definitely you know, feel free to reach out. Um, I'm, I'm always game to talk about real estate more and more. Cool. Well, thanks, Drew. Looking forward to catching up soon and uh, have a good day. Yep. You too. Thanks for having me on. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Strive for 25 podcast. If you're ready to jumpstart your financial journey and take it to the next level, you may want to join our 30-day habit challenge, which you can find on our website, strivefor25.com, strive, F-O-R, the number 25.com. You can also follow us on YouTube and Instagram by searching strive for the number 25. And if you have any questions and want to reach out to us, you can also connect with us on our website. Thank you so much.